0: Hey, welcome back to Rhythms of Grace. Uh, this is Nate, and I'm here with Sung Kim, the lead pastor of Grace Church. And uh, we're here on episode 0.2 of our podcast, Rhythms of Grace. Uh, the first week we talked about uh, basically that, that, I guess we called it to hell with balance, yeah. which uh, I, don't, I don't know how that's going to fly, but we did it anyways. Uh, what, what were your thoughts about that?
1: Yeah. Again, we talked about balance and contrast to rhythm uh, again, in, in honor of the name of the podcast rhythms of grace and how just a balance really is unattainable. And we, we, I mean, part of the reason why we said to hell with balance wasn't to be sacrilegious.
0: Although I mean a little bit, but that's okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think part of it is a, a couple of things. One, I really do. I think we we experience a lot of people, uh, because they're trying to live lives of perfect balance, it it is crushing their souls, and and it creates this private hell in their lives. It drags them down spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And so part of it was just like, let's just be done with it, to to hell with it. Like, it's creating hell in your life. And the other thing, too, is I I think the whole spirit of – uh, trying to create that perfect balance in our lives, I, I think it just the whole spirit of that comes from hell. Mm. So I think it's about resisting that cultural pressure. And, and again, in contrast to that, rhythms like it forces you to the extremes, right? You're, so we use the ca- example of a kayak. You're you're leaning in one direction for a time before leaning in in a different direction, uh, and it's a back and forth, back and forth. And so, um, I I think we all crave, uh, balance, uh, but what we really need is, is rhythm. And so that, that was, uh, you know, episode zero part one.
0: Yeah, sure. And so we, we use that, you know, the, the, the contrast between balance and rhythm to talk about the rhythm part of rhythms of grace. And today we're going to talk about the, the grace part of grace. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in some ways it sounds like your hope is to contrast that with, um, other, other ways that we see, Non grace, whether Mm -hmm. that's judgmentalism or religion or um, all sorts of ways that we live or experience a non gracious culture.
1: Yeah, and so today's uh, episode is entitled "Religion Sucks."
0: All right, religion (laughs) sucks.
1: Got it. Because it does, and I've lived, uh, I've lived it, and so have so many people. You know, I I love the way that Tim Keller uh, contrasts religion and gospel. Um, religion, he basically says, uh, it's this proposition of I obey, uh, therefore I'm accepted. And so if I do the right things, if I jump right through the right hoops, then I will be loved and accepted. In contrast, he says grace, uh, the gospel of grace reverses that and says, no, you are accepted, you are loved. And so because you're loved and accepted, uh, therefore you obey. And so I think there's a big difference between religion, which is what I grew up in, and and grace which is what i experienced later on in life
0: so you said you said you feel like you grew up in religion what what do you mean by that
1: yeah i mean um you know i I think we just um it's almost like city dwellers who who no longer notice like the pollution in the air like we live and breathe the air of performance in our culture right and so whether it's school uh, when you go to school, you go to preschool, y- even as early as preschool, you know, there's tests and evaluations and, and you're labeled, you know, uh, above average, average, below average. Uh, there's phrases like the early bird gets a worm, no pain, no gain, no free, no such thing as a free lunch. And nice so, guys finish last. That, that's right. Is that why I'm always last? <laughs> <Well>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I also think, too, when you take tests in school, exams never come back with uh the correct answers highlighted, it's always the wrong answer, yeah, and so we live in a culture of uh, of just ungrace right and and we say this like, oh you know we want you to be prepared for the real world when you get a job, and so even when you go to the job place it's the same thing you know you, you earn your way to a promotion mm-hmm. and, and all that and so when I grew up i mean uh i, I my, uh, i'm uh my parent, I'm Asian um in case you didn't catch that by my <laughs> from name. your name sung Kim <laughs> he's Irish <laughs> and so the, the Asian culture I, I think is just really hyper performance focused and so even with grades you know one of my memories growing up was uh, especially through high school hey dad hey mom I got a B plus and it'd be it wouldn't be good enough and they'd be like why didn't you get an A And so the next semester I brought home an A and they they'd say, okay, you got an A, why not an A plus? Mm. And I tried hard, I worked, I I, I studied my butt off and and I brought home an A plus. And I remember it was like, well, why aren't you valedictorian? Mm. And and so you just live and breathe this whole air of performance. Uh, And that's true even with church uh, when I grew up and, and sports as well too. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. I mean, one of the things that you're talking about, and I don't know if everyone experiences this, but it sounds like you did kind of the transactional nature of, of your relationship to grades. In other words, you, you had to excel in order to try to earn your, your parents acceptance. And it, again, it was just never good enough. And, mm-hmm. and it, so it's interesting to think about how, and I mean, we live in a transactional culture, right? Yep. Like if you want something from Myers, you, you have to, you have to buy it. You have, yep. um, Uh, You have to work to get your paycheck, et cetera. And we kind of bring all of that onto or into our understanding of faith. And suddenly we've created this transactional sort of experience that becomes like these religious set of rules. Whereas Tim Keller describes it as actually being the opposite. Like the reward comes first. Right. Instead of after
1: you've kind of paid the price. Right. Again, which was very different growing up, I remember one of the things that we did every night was family devotions, and I I, I, just, I remember just hating it. Uh, I I still hate it, but um, uh, I remember in it's the a real th-
0: inside scoop here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Song hates <laughs> devotions, uh, family devotions. Um, so I remember in middle school reading through the Bible. I remember reading the Sermon on the Mount and came across that passage where Jesus says, "If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your Eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, and he says it's better for you to to walk around this world with like a missing eye or a hand rather than your you know whole body being thrown into hell. And I remember thinking as a junior high kid, like, oh man, I know I sin with my eyes all the time, and I just didn't have the guts to gouge it out. And so I remember thinking, like, oh, I I guess I'm going to hell. Mm. And uh, another experience in high school. Uh, five of us, uh, friends, we were just, uh, we, we were sleeping over uh, another friend's house and, you know, just ju- in ways that just high school boys can be, we, we stayed up all night reading through the book of Re- revelation, just like every high school
0: boy <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and I mean, that, that was better than a horror movie. It was so scary. I remember we stopped at numerous times and we were just like shivering like, oh my goodness, is this true? And there was one section where it talks about the 144,000 that will be in heaven. And I remember this distinct feeling like, man, I'm not going to make the cut there. Mm. And I always thought growing up, God weighed my good deeds and bad deeds on a scale. And I always felt like, man, I, I, I am found wanting, I, I'm not good enough. And so that was kind of my my uh, view of God and religion, if you will. And, and even when I did something wrong, uh, confession back then looked like coming to God and just, uh, God, I promise I'll do better next time. Mm-hmm. I, I won't do it again. And, and again, it, I, it was almost like I was squirming to gain his approval.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, obviously I didn't grow up in an Asian household uh, but, my faith experience was a little bit unique the The school that I went to was a very, very conservative private Christian school attached to um, a large Baptist church. The church that I went to was uh really like charismatic like like these two churches kind of theologically were in a lot of ways on on opposite ends of the spectrum. but the one thing that they had in common ironically was legalism. Mm and it didn't matter there was different sets of things that I, that I was failing at depending on like whether I was you know whether it was sunday or whether I was in school on monday uh but they both had clear clear boxes that if you didn't check them every day you know you were, you were failing hardcore. I mean, I remember we were playing, we were playing like Euchre um, at at the lunch table once when I was in high school and the principal came up and like confiscated our cards because like face cards were of the devil. I mean, it was like, (laughs) like they were, it was like that legalistic. Right. And then, then on Sunday, you know, we were regularly told how we needed to be spending an hour, two hours, three hours, like in our prayer closet, you know, like praying for the salvation of the world and, and, both of those places, even though the lists were so different every day, you reach the end of the day and you're like, yep, Nope. Failed again today. You know, didn't, didn't accomplish what God wanted me to, I guess I'm not really saved or not good enough or I'll never be who God wanted me to be. Um, but that was my experience too.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think it's really, uh, insightful that, uh, Lewis Mead, who's a Christian psychologist, he writes in a book called shame and guilt. And he talks about one of the three things that, bring crippling shame and guilt into our lives. And one of them was uh, unaccepting parents. Mm -hmm. Now, I I know, like, I I love my parents, they love me, and I know it's the same for you. But again, sometimes the experience as a little kid uh, doesn't match the reality of how our parents feel about us all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I know that as a parent myself, too. And, uh, you know, uh, again, uh, our family is a... uh, um, we are a, a, a bunch of bibliophiles. We love books and reading. Like like you said, we have as many books as you have farm tools, yeah, right? right? Um, one of the stories that I came across recently was of um, the author Ernest Hemingway. And my wife and daughter love, love Ernest Hemingway. Uh, we visited his house down in Key West in Florida last year, right before COVID, and it, it was so insightful. And, and the more I learned about his life, the more fascinating it was. And, and he had really devout parents, and his grandparents actually went to the Evangelical College Wheaton. And uh, as he grew up, his mother really detested his libertine life. And so at one point, his mom even refused to allow uh, um, Ernest Hemingway to be in her presence. Mm-hmm. And one birthday, I, I thought this was really just heartbreaking, she mailed a cake Along with a gun that his father used to kill himself. Oh my gosh! All <laughs> right, and then this was the part too. Uh, again, she was very devout, but she would lay all these impossible demands on him and expectations, and saying, "You know, as as my son, you should be. You know, I, I've invested and poured into you as a kid. Now that you're an adult, you should be doing all of these things: give me flowers, candy, paying my bills, mm. and above all else. And and again, this is where she put. Religion on there. Stop neglecting your duty to God and your Lord Jesus Christ. And so he grew up never getting over his hatred for his mother or her savior. Wow. And I just think that is so heartbreaking, uh, especially you know. And again, I I I'm just really aware of even that influence as a parent too. And and part of the reason why. Uh, I'm always communicating my love to my kids. It is because of, of that environment that I grew up in.
0: Mm-hmm. So I mean, we've talked, are there other are there other things that kind of build into or form our sort of religious understanding of God and faith as as apart from grace?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think um, the church, when you think of the church, um, when you ask most people outside the church to describe Christians, we described as judgmental, hypocritical, homophobic, right? Uh, maybe too political, meaning in most places, right, we're pro-life activists, gay rights opponents. And so um, uh, most people outside the church have this view of church that church is where you go after you've cleaned up your act, mm. which again, according to Keller, is religion, um, and I think it's interesting when you look at the Bible, tax collectors and prostitutes, like the worse that somebody felt about themselves, the more likely that they, were to, they, they would be to run to Jesus yeah. as a source of refuge. Yeah. And, and I look at the church today and, and I just think, where have we lost that gift? Mm-hmm. Like we proclaim grace, but why is it that uh, not only the down and outers, but like the people on the margins, Um, no longer feel welcome among God's people today. And so um, I know I've experienced my own sense of religion even growing up in church as well, too. My dad uh, was a pastor, and being the firstborn son in in an Asian culture um, and being the pastor's kid, it it, it, it was uh, very much religion. I was expected to behave a certain way, and uh, people almost imputed on me this sense of godliness or expectation mm-hmm. just because i was the pastor's son or, yep. or, or a level of biblical knowledge that i just didn't have and, and so church wasn't always like a, a place of experiencing grace we may we, we would talk about it but there were far and few between times when i actually experienced it
0: yeah it's uh it's interesting to to think about um people on the fringe needing grace. I'm reminded of, of a story when I was in high school. And again, it was still a part of this um, church uh, school. Um, and there was a, there was a, one of my classmates, I remember she, she just disappeared one day. Like she had, was there and then she wasn't there anymore. And uh, later in the year, I, I found out that she had actually come to school intoxicated. And I mean, that was it. The, the school kicked her out right away. But, what was lost in that was that she had a really like a really tragic backstory, losing um, siblings um, and her mom at a very young age. Um, I think she was the sole survivor of a of a car crash wow. and carried a ton of guilt with that right and so she grows up just feeling all sorts of survivor guilt and, and whatever, and it actually drove her to drink as like a freshman or sophomore and how does the church respond to someone who desperately desperately clearly needs to understand the love of jesus they just kicked her out i mean it was mm. it, it was like that fast and she was gone yeah you know
1: yeah I, again i i think that's so tragic and you know i i think that it's a challenge uh for me for us i mean because obviously we um the, the name of the church that uh we lead is called grace yeah and honestly, that's, that's actually a big part of the reason why we named it Grace, too. Uh, there's, uh, it's, it's a word that's kind of thrown around, but for me, it has a lot of personal meaning because, uh, again, I grew up on religion um, in, in my family of origin, in my church. Uh, and, and honestly, uh, for a time, uh, I stopped going to church. Um, as a senior in college, at the height of my rebellion, my dad was like, hey, just promise me you will, you will just keep going to church um, and, and at that time I was so done with Christianity. I was done with church. Um, and, and I remember feeling like so done with Christianity because I, f- I experienced so little grace there. Um, I remember that summer, um, my parents didn't know what to do with me. Uh, they sent me away and uh, like I, I, I even remember my dad saying, "You know, Sung, I've been praying for you all these years. You're 18, you're going to be an adult. Um, you, uh, you've always, you, you've resisted and rebelled against me. And he just, I remember he sat down, uh, right, uh, on my bed and just said, you know, uh, he was like, uh, I, I, I've, I've just given up on you. Wow. <laughs> you, you can just, you, you do what you want. Cause uh-huh. I, I, I just, I just don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And I remember like on one hand feeling relief on the other hand, feeling like, no, no, w- what are you doing? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, another favorite, uh, story of mine, uh, going back to Hemingway, he writes this short story called the capital of the world. And, and I love this story because, uh, Hemingway tells a story of a father and an estranged teenage son and the son sins against his father and runs away. And so the father, uh, searches for him all throughout Spain and, and he's just so desperate and he, he, he's the, beside himself. And so in one last desperate attempt, he uh, places an ad in the daily newspaper, and the ad reads this. It says, Paco, meet at Hotel Manana noon Tuesday, and he says, all is forgiven, Hmm. Papa. And then the next day, he goes to the hotel in that designated spot, and there he sees 800 young boys named Mm. Paco. Yeah. And I think that's at the heart of every single person, religious or not, yeah. right? At the heart of it is like, you are seeking, you are looking for uh, that love that has no strings attached, that love that, that is unconditional because we've experienced so much conditional love.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's part of grace too. Um, one story I remember, um, uh, again, I'm not a perfect dad. And I remember when my son Micah was maybe like three or four years old, I remember asking him, He had just gotten in trouble for something. And I said, hey, Micah, does does, does Daddy love you less when you do something bad? And he hung his head a little bit, and he said, yes. Mm. And then I said, does Daddy love you more when you do something good? And he he lifted up his head and said, yes. And we had this long conversation, and and, uh, again, just like, for me, trying to resist that whole temptation of just, you know, uh, perpetuating the religion that I experienced. We just talked about that, and it was me reiter- reiterating to him over and over again. You know, Micah, nothing you do will make me love you more. Yeah. You know, um, and I think that's what grace is: understanding that nothing that we do is going to make God love us more. You know, no amount of knowledge, no amount of renouncing things uh there's nothing that we can do to make god love us less mm-hmm. uh, right uh, and that includes the, like the sin of pride the sin of racism the sin of pornography the sin of adultery the sin of sin of murder like none of that uh and that is so hard to understand
0: it really like it goes against it goes against the like the, every logical part of our brain yeah. right um to 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 feel like there's nothing we could do that would make god love us
1: less yeah it it does it does i mean happily now when (laughs) whenever i ask micah that i I, you know again he's he's 13 now and uh so like 10 years later hey you know uh if you do something bad does 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 daddy love you less he's just absolute he's like no you love me the same yeah you know and so i i think just dispensing that that understanding of who god is his heart and his love um, and, and I think that that's really, uh, right. It, it's God who demonstrated what grace is. Right. Um, I, I think the irony, the paradox, the, the unfairness of, of grace is this, it, it costs us nothing to be the recipients of God's grace, mm. but it costs him like his son. Um, and, and I think that's for us the, the gravity of uh, that grace brings to our lives.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I think, uh, I have a, whenever, whenever someone asks me stories about generosity or grace, there's a, there's a, there's one story that, that always comes to mind for me. And, uh, he's probably going to hate that I'm going to do this, <laughs> but, um, the, uh, the, we're, we're friends with, uh, with the owners of Pacific Rim, mm-hmm. the Tangs. They're an amazing couple. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, my oldest son had been diagnosed with a relatively, um, severe illness And because we were trying to to treat him and diagnose him, uh, a family vacation of ours had gotten canceled uh, because he needed it. He was in the hospital actually, Um, so we we were we had to stay home. Our vacation was canceled, and the the Tang said, "Hey, why don't you come to Pacific Rim? It's this great restaurant in downtown Ann Arbor. Like, just come, like, be our guests. Let us just. We know we we know we you can't go on vacation, but why don't you just come share a meal? It's on the house." Um, and so we, our family went there, and uh, this is a restaurant that, in general, I would I would not be able to afford to <laughs> eat at on the regular, right? It's a really, really, it's an amazingly nice. Do place. I not pay you enough? <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, and so you know, we were there, and we didn't want to take advantage. Mm. Uh, and so we were thinking, okay, like th- we're a family of six. We'll you know, we'll maybe we'll get an appetizer and we'll split a couple entrees. You know, that'll be that'll be great. It'll be an experience like we've never had. Um, and so we kind of put our order in, and the and the waitress came back, and she was like, Duke said that you didn't order enough. So he's just going to just give me your entrees, and we'll take care of the rest. And I'm telling you, there was a nonstop <laughs> stream of waiters and waitresses to our table dropping off appetizers, and the bartender was making my kids like virgin cocktails. He just kept <laughs> bringing them over. I mean, our tables were just covered with food it was just this extravagant outpouring like i've never experienced you know and i i was i was literally in tears at the table it was that overwhelming to to feel the recipient of something that i did not earn and didn't necessarily deserve but someone who had the the uh, ability to bless was just like, I am just gonna heap it on you. He literally sent up every single appetizer on the menu. He <laughs> sent us every single dessert on the menu. You know, I mean right. it was like that <laughs> extravagant. Yeah. Um, and so when I think about grace, that's the story that often comes back. Cause I literally sat there in my chair just overwhelmed with the feeling of like being blessed, even though I hadn't done anything to deserve it. And I wasn't gonna pay for the meal. You know, right. there, there was no way there was it was absolutely non-transactional. Uh, and it's still one of one of the most profound kind of grace experiences of my life.
1: Yeah, and that's just not happened to you too. We've gone to Pacific Rim. Uh, we always go during Restaurant Week when uh, it's it's a set price. And and uh, on numerous occasions, Amy and I have gone there, and Duke has done the same thing too. We order what's on the kind of the uh, Restaurant Week menu, and then he'll bring out like every single appetizer. Mm-hmm. And again, the tendency is to be like, oh, how do we repay you, yep. right, because you feel bad, and you just feel like, I should do something to earn this, this generosity that you're giving me, but that, that's the exact thing that cuts against the grain of grace. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And, yeah, you know, when I think of uh, just moments of grace that I've experienced, too, um, you know, for me, I, I realize a lot of times it, it's happened uh, with my family around me, and oftentimes when we're traveling. Um, one experience that I just I, I, has just stuck with me for years. We were in New York City. Uh, we were walking through Central Park, and there's one area. There's a terrace. It's called Bethesda Terrace, and there's a large fountain there, and the terrace has all these exquisite carvings. And and we've been there before, and we were just walking through the terrace when all of a sudden, like, we were just surprised by the sound of music. Mm. and So we started following the source, and there, there we were under the terrace, and there was a, a lone uh, man, like a street performer, but, like, sitting there with a cello. And uh, he was playing Ode to Joy by Beethoven. And I remember we were all just entranced by what he was playing. But more than that... All I remember is, like, uh, Amy and I were standing kind of in the back, and, and my son, who was maybe six or seven, was just sitting there, um, and, and he was just totally entranced by watching this man play the cello and and, and almost the, the grace that was coming out of the music from that. And, and just watching my son so entranced by that, I was just surprised and captured by this sense of, like, undeserved uh, grace mm. we didn't earn this we just we just stumbled upon it and it, 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 it the, like the joy that came out of that was just uh something just beyond description um a, another experience uh, a number of years ago when our family was on sabbatical we we're uh one of the places that we went to was uh switzerland and we were we were hiking down one of the mountain villages um in, in the alps uh down back into the valley and uh, we got lost Um, So we didn't know where we were going, and we were walking down one of the walking trails, and I just remember just stopping dead in our tracks because I was just captured by the scenery, Uh, just this view of just the whole valley with, um, like, you know, little houses just all over the place surrounded by views of mountains and green hills and waterfalls, and and I just literally had to just stop dead in my tracks, and and, uh, again, kind of like that that uh, Bethesda Terrace moment just um, just the sense of gratitude and joy that came out of that, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that 's what grace does right It surprises you in moments that you, you, uh, where you don 't expect it, and it 's moments where it 's just given to you like free of charge yeah,
0: yeah your, your, uh, your cello story reminded me of um, of a, a violin story actually that I was just thinking about this over the weekend, uh, so one of my sons has played violin for for years. Um, and when he first started, I mean, if you've ever heard a beginner <laughs> violinist, it is, you know, it's pretty grating. And he had this, he had a concert coming up or a recital and he had been squeaking out this, like this same melody for weeks, you know, just like, uh, 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 you know, just squeaking out this melody for weeks. And, um, and then it, we got to the, to the uh, recital and it was his turn to play and he stood up and st- and got ready to play and then his instructor got her violin out and stood next to him mm. and what they ended up playing was a duet mm. you know so we're in this we're in the sanctuary of this old church and he's squeaking away but the, but his instructor is playing the other part to the duet and it and made beautiful music And what I was struck by, I was having, I don't remember what was going on in my life at the time, except I know that I felt really like tired and run down. And I, and I literally felt like I was that kid, like my life was me just like squeaking out that melody on the violin, like over and over and over again. And it sounded horrible. And what God spoke to me in that moment was, listen, something beautiful is going to come from your life, but it's not because you're an expert violinist like when we when we join with the grace of God, something amazing happens, and it's not because of our own ability and and our own skill or our own hard work or our own practice. And that was another example of grace for me, you know and now when I'm in the midst of struggle, I just try to remember somewhere God is playing the other half of this duet, <laughs> and I'm just hoping beyond hope that 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 beautiful music is being played,
1: yeah, no, that's so good and i I think uh Man, uh, maybe to close, uh, I'll uh, maybe throw out this little anecdote and challenge for us um, as we consider grace. Uh, I love this one story about theologian, I think he's German, German theologian Karl Barth. Uh, He at a press conference, uh, and again, this guy's written tomes and books on theology, and they asked him, what is the most profound truth you've ever learned in your studies? Mm -hmm. And he simply said, Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible tells me so, and I just think, man, that's so simple and so profound, and yet every single day, why is it that I still continue to try to earn god's love yeah. Yeah. Um, and so again, I, I think you know and, and grace isn't this superficial kind of narcissistic self love um, uh, the uh w- <laughs> sorry, I keep quoting all these other people, but St Augustine he said. Uh, One of my favorite quotes from him, he says, by loving us, uh, God makes us lovable. Mm. I I think uh, oftentimes these days, so much of what's peddled out there, kind of like this narcissistic kind of self-love, is kind of like, oh, we are lovable, therefore God loves us. And and Augustine says, no, no.
0: Right, it's the other way.
1: Yeah, by loving us, God makes us lovable. And so... um, one last thing, um, I'll, then I'll get off my uh, nerd soapbox. But uh, sociologists have this theory uh, of the, the looking glass self. And, and they say, you become what the most important people in your life think about you.
0: Mm.
1: And, and that's so true. And I just think, how would my life be different if I believed the Bible's astonishing claim that Jesus loves me? That, and if I, that whenever I looked in the mirror, uh, I saw what God saw and understood the truth that by loving us, like God is making me more lovable.
0: That's great, Sung. Thanks. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, upcoming episodes are going to be about how do we walk in Rhythms of Grace um, daily, weekly, seasonally. Uh, so I hope you'll come back and join us.